Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, deep conversations and tarot medicine for your highest evolution. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for being with me today. Um, thank you so much for your patience. This episode is late. It was inevitable. <laughs> um, uh, we are, the Wild Soul team is very busy at work preparing for our course launch on Tuesday for my big eight-week course on tarot reading through a soul-centered lens. It is going to, and I mean this with all sincerity, literally knock your socks off. I cannot wait to share um, and uh, to open the doors. Um, But that's been very time-consuming. And I also have a full normal schedule, like with clients and uh, all kinds of different things this week and, uh, am really working to nourish my body because I'm tired. <laughs> so giving myself permission to be late for things feels like deep, um, nourishment, um, because it's really crazy right now. So thank you for your patience in this. Um, you're going to get lucky because this episode goes up uh, is going to go up on Tuesday night, Thursday night, sorry. And um, there's an interview on on Tuesday, so you only have to wait well, way less than a week um, to hear the interview that we're going to have with uh, a pretty awesome guest. Um, so I'm just going to get right to it. This episode is about love. And it's also a gentle, humble invitation to rethink the way we interpret love cards in the tarot. So the title for this episode uh, is The Soulmate in the Mirror, which felt really evocative to me and came to me as I was thinking about what I would title this. This is a subject that I've been wanting to talk about in a concrete way for a really, really long time. So I'll back up to go forward. Um, The soulmate in the mirror is a pretty, I think, universally understood phrase by everybody listening, which is that you are your beloved, for better or worse. (laughs) This body this soul, you are the original marriage. You are your twin flame. You are your beloved. You are your first mother, really. And our first parent. Um, and first child, always. Um, some people choose to leave the planet because they don't want to be in that relationship anymore. So it's no joke. It's not to say that, oh yeah, you're your you're your beloved. Like congratulations, go off with that. It's a very intense relationship. But the key, and I would even say the secret to beginning to identify and clarify for yourself where you're at in your love, romantic friendship, um, sexual exchange in your life is to look at where you are in your marriage with you. Are you available? Are you listening? 
Are you feeding, nourishing, pleasuring? Are you railroading? You know, we can get into major marital issues with ourselves, meaning like we'll go 25 years not listening to a damn word the body says and the body wants to get the fuck out of here usually. <laughs> it it always wants our love. You know, it's always available. We need to make amends sometimes. Um, but it can be really intense and I won't lie. Um, but it's worth it. It's worth it because the way that we are available to be with ourselves is the way that we will be available to be met by a partner, period. Um, some people, of course, have mirrors that are really blacked out and smudged and they can't see themselves. And so it can feel a little bit like, well, I thought he, you know, they were a nice person and then it wound up that they were not. Or I thought that they didn't fit the pattern at all to the person that I usually date. And then three months in, as always happens, you know, they went back to another person or, you know, they have difficulties with substance abuse and, you know, whatever it might be. And by the way, those are not, um, the substance abuse piece is not a problem always, of course, if someone's committed to recovery, but if someone is actively falling into addictive patterns again and again, it can be really intense. And of course, this isn't to say that, um, everything in our relationships is our ultimate responsibility or because this shitty thing happened to us, we were, you know, whatever it's, it's not like that, but the, thing that in our completely romantically obsessed world gets confused constantly is that even subtly, if there's any belief or any story about how life will be when we're not single, we are missing the point. From a married person, we're missing the point completely. And that the relationship that truly is God-guided, is the most important of our lives, is that of ourselves, regarding ourselves as the true spouse, the true partner. And that'll bring some shit up. You can be in therapy for a million years around your relationship stuff and not even think for a minute, do I court myself? Date myself? How do I feed myself? How do I fuck myself? do I? Is that something I even want? So there's a lot of huge, huge things to begin to look at. And, you know, I'll speak very, very, very bluntly. Um, I have gotten and experienced and had to hold space for a lot of people who are super angry at me when we do readings um, because they want me to tell them when they're going to meet somebody. And the anger often covers up you know, the layers of anger, of frustration, of rage, of confusion, of sadness often are about, you know, why we haven't met our beloved or why things aren't working out. Um, can uh, They're just covering up the grief that we're not with ourselves. That's it. That's, that's it. They're just covering that up. And because I know 
that nobody completes us, no person, no external piece completes in any way, shape, or form our soul's destiny. If we're believing that we need someone or that we should be in a relationship, we've somehow missed the off-ramp. And it's not that we're doing anything wrong, but the soulmate is in the mirror. And if we're believing that it's somehow outside of us, or if we're fucking around with some person that, you know, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. When spirit tells us without saying it so directly, hey, be single. This is your time. This is a time to rewire, to reassess, to process your last relationship, to process maybe the last patterns in your relationship. We often resist that. And we want to go right to online dating or we want to go right to this or that. And when we decide, you know, I'm ready to date now, we assume the person will come along. And usually it's a deep gift because there's a certain aspect of us that's not quite in line with who the universe is trying to deliver to us. And very often we can inadvertently stretch out what was originally supposed to be maybe like a year and a half period where it was really in alignment for us to be solo. We can stretch that out to five years just because we can't let go of the rope or the side of the pool completely and just be in the soup of, well, there's nobody here. So there's nobody else to pay attention to but me. And when there's nobody else to pay attention to but us, then we start thinking about like, do I really love my job? Is it really in alignment for me to be in this city? Do I really like it here? Are there aspects of my life that are not really all that pleasurable, but I'm afraid to change them because I'm afraid I'll lose what I have? And then we weave in a story about, you know, our age and where we're at. And we wind up losing so much of the gifts that are here to help us essentially prepare for whatever relationships are meant to come into our life. So how does the tarot fit into this? So I have a little phrase that I use with the tarot and have for quite some time, which is that the tarot cannot be any different than life. The tarot cannot be any different than life. What that means is if we're talking about the fact that no person completes us in life, We cannot sit in front of a client and say, you pulled two of cups, that means someone's coming. It might be that someone's coming, but it's not always the case. What is always the case with two of cups is that it's an invitation to see the shit deeply within ourselves that makes us want to run away, makes us want to change it to really be available to look in that mirror big time at us. And from there, another person can come and match that. But it starts with us. Same with Ace of Cups. There is no way that Ace of Cups means first and foremost, you're going to meet somebody. Otherwise, everybody who ever pulled it would have met somebody. It doesn't add up. So that's not to say that tarot can't be any different than life. The cup suit are all about loving the self unconditionally regarding the self, trusting oneself, learning through what it means to strategize, what it means to seek, what it means to be in victimhood, what it means to honor grief, what it means to trust one's one's own emotional experiences. There are a lot of 
mighty lessons in the cup suit that do not necessarily translate in any way, shape, or form to human romance. And not only is it important to begin to see that from a viewpoint of ethics to begin to, you know, not necessarily lean on that idea just to make the client happy or just to make yourself happy. The other piece that is crucial in beginning to evolve some of the more love-based cards of the tarot is not everybody dates. Not everybody identifies as a sexual individual or they identify in their own way as asexual or as somebody who does not have the desire in any way, shape, or form to date or to be with anyone romantically or um, or they are very happily, very happily um, coupled or in relationships. And our old standby definition of like, hey, you're going to meet somebody does not compute for them. Because, yeah, they can reconnect with their partner, but it's not necessarily always about someone coming in. And by the way, sometimes people who come in on these cards are not the soulmates that we're looking for. They do present opportunities for us to do our work, but spirit doesn't look at it like that. Spirit's not like, oh, wow, you know, this person will be with somebody and then everything will be okay. It's a lifelong journey of being present in this marriage to self. And a lot of people just don't want to fuck with that. A lot of people just don't want to deal with that. And you'll find more often than not that when you're available to just focus on your work, polishing that mirror, partners will come. If that's what you desire, they will come and they might go, but they will be there. And usually if it's radio silence, you have to ask yourself, when was the last time I even checked that mirror? Is there so much bullshit in front of my mirror that I didn't even look? Am I hiding behind work? Am I hiding in online dating? Am I hiding in my phone? You know, what what might it be? Or am I forcing myself to go on dates and to meet people and to connect and to like be open because I should be open and everything in my body fucking hates it. And it's just driven by fear. It's just driven by the part of me that just doesn't want to be alone you're not alone. You have you. You have yourself and you are damn rich company. If you ever gave, if we ever gave ourselves a moment to really drop in and be there with it. So once we begin to do that and to break down those old bullshit paradigms, the partnership is just the way. And once we begin to take responsibility for the anger and the beliefs that we have about why we're, you know, why we're still single or why it hasn't worked out for us, et cetera, et cetera, then we come back to this space of mirror. Because again, life doesn't owe us anything. Things are not fair. If you haven't been with a partner or if things didn't work out with your partner, it's not that I'm not profoundly compassionate, but it's always an opportunity to be learning and coming back to the mirror. And that doesn't mean that we can't totally honor our grief here, but the despair of being alone, we're not alone. We're right here and we're the ones that we've really been waiting for. So if we're able to be with that, then our experience with other people, no matter how it might be, sexually, romantically, or otherwise, any kind of intimate connection will be completely different. And it's time for the tarot in the way that we um, look at these cards 
look at these particular cards to come up with it because it's really not about that. It's not about waiting or deciphering or hoping that someone will be the one. Nobody can tell you that. Nobody. Being in a true soul-centered relationship is a matter of choice. Nobody in this world gets a twin flame and they're just able to put their feet up and relax. And I encourage you to really let that wash over you because so many people believe and are believing and there's something within them that believes that if they can just find somebody, they can relax, that that part of them will stop running, stop searching. I'm here to tell you some bummer news for your ego. That's not going to happen. You might be wildly happy, wildly in the flow, in, you know, fucking your partner. You might feel delighted by your community or by your friend or by anyone that you meet that provides um, something that, you know, just the joy of intimate companionship. Anybody, you might have, you will have that, might have that. And then when you're with, that person for a couple of years and the flow and the energy changes, you're going to have to get back to your mirror. No one is exempt from that. So if there's a belief that your soul will relax open when you meet somebody, this podcast episode is for you because that belief is slightly off the tracks. It's slightly out of alignment relaxation is available to you right now. You don't need the presence of a lover to get you there at all, as much as you might think that. So the soulmate is in the mirror. We begin to look at these cards, our relationship with ourself as a direct line to how our romantic, how our intimate life is unfolding with other people, period. Um, if you're with someone that you, you know, if you also, if you have an idea of somebody that's your soulmate or your twin flame or someone that you desire to be your beloved with, there's no stasis where it's just like you're just in something good and that's the end of it. What constitutes an active, healthy partnership one that is centered in soul and one that helps um, all parties consistently be evolving into their best selves is a process of um, welcoming and inviting up. So ideally, if you're in a soul-centered partnership of any kind, you are doing your own work. You're climbing your own ladder, the ladder of your soul. You're climbing your mountain and you're doing you and deeply devoted and committed to doing you. And when you notice that your partner might not be doing their work or might not be coming along at the same pace as you, you stretch a hand out and it's up to them to do the work to come up to meet you if they can and if they desire to do that. And if they don't, you don't stop for them. You keep going. Some people wait for years at the side of the road of their lives because their partner just won't come with them. 
There's really nothing we can do about that. But if the partner comes up and meets us and then they pass us by and stretch a hand out to us and then we move into ourselves, come up to meet them, if that exchange keeps happening, we've found a soulmate, period, period. There's no other way to look at that. That is the beloved. That is the mirror of the soul's alignment. And there's no guarantee that that's a lifelong contract. Things change. So notice for yourself, if that brings up panic, it's usually because there's a conditioning to believe that we won't be okay until we're with a partner to mirror us. We are the mirrors we've been looking for. And if, and I'll tell you, guides are pretty brutal about that, <laughs> which is why I might sound a little straightforward about it because um, you don't need to be anything or do anything that doesn't feel good in order to meet someone. In fact, the more uncomfortable we are, usually the further away we are. And the more we try to look for a partner, at the minute the looking starts happening for a partner, we're further away than we've ever been. It's a birthright to find people who see us for who we really are. And um, sometimes people can catch us in our mirrors in ways that we're not able to see ourselves in yet which is when you get the other thing, which is when, you know, we meet somebody who's so good that it freaks us out and we want to run or we want to destroy the relationship. And that is probably more normal than I could ever tell you. Um, that was my experience with my partner. And uh, it's been the experience of so many people that I've known who've experienced abuse or were more comfortable pining or longing or having a reflection be brought to them that was loving or maybe unavailable in the form of someone who was married or coupled or unavailable in some way. Um, that's just all we could handle at the time with our mirror. We could be there, but not completely, right? So a lot of the time when we meet someone who really sees us for us, we can want to really kick them away. So if you are the partner of someone who is aware of their tendency to do that, um, I bow to you because you're doing the Lord's work. And if you're someone who knows that you're doing that to your partner, start owning up to it and saying, you know, there's a part of me right now that wants to run away and I'm in full recognition of the fact that it's because you're really good for me. So I'm just going to be there with that because it's not even about them being good for us. It's about them being true mirrors for us. And the sight of ourselves through the love of that person can be too blinding to handle. So we want to run away or we get caught up or dissociative or we crush on other people, whatever it might be. Once we start understanding that it's really the mirror that runs the show, shame really goes away. And um, usually if we meet our partners with this awareness, they'll start to understand and they'll start to be able to hold a little space for it. Usually we have to hold ourselves or get um, third-party space holding, even in the form of a friend. But um, that can be true too, that when we really meet the good people, we, we kick them right away because we can't handle looking at that mirror. So it's not you. It's not the other person. It's really that being seen and receiving and looking in that mirror of self 
fully integrating and embracing that self soulmate is fucking intense and it is a lifelong commitment to expansion. So again, let's talk about the tarot. So with the lover's card, the lover's cards, I've mentioned this a couple times, not necessarily an indicator of a lover in any way, shape or form. It is, um, both an opportunity for choice for clear, beautiful, empowered choice around something, but it always represents exactly what we're talking about, which is a mirror. Usually when we're in the lover's card, and this has to do with its Gemini ruling, it's a very specific energy that really only Gemini has. Um, we are given an external mirror to look into in the lover's card, which means that we might get a gorgeous person that we're super attracted to, whether they're appropriate for us to date or not. We might get a beautiful baby in our field or in our life. We might get um, a really beautiful person that we're not attracted to, but brings up some really deep feelings of nurturance and care and adoration and love or whatever it might be. And we also might um, get a beautiful sunset or the opportunity to see something really profound or beautiful in nature in some way or the moon or whatever it might be. Spirit works with the lover's card in uh, the only opposite way to this idea that the soulmate is in the mirror. And in a way it's, it's still true, but it, it's kind of a infinity loop rather than a circle or a straight line where we get the opportunity to make a choice and to make a clarifying decision around taking responsibility, seeing ourselves in the beauty that's reflected to us. So if we pull the lover's card, we walk outside and the sky is just lit pink, purples, golds. That's you. That's you looking at you. But it's also you looking at something that's beautiful too. So it's seeing the thing in the mirror, seeing the reflection, seeing what's opposite you for what it is, and also seeing that you're falling in love with yourself too. So this gets tricky with other people because the lover's card does sometimes come up around other people that are not meant for us to date, not meant for us to fuck, not meant for us to do anything. A lot of the time people can come up in the lover's card just to like literally like we're light, relighting a pilot light. They can come in to like completely make our sexuality explode or make our libidos explode or call something up in us that we even forgot we felt. They can be so beautiful and we can be so attracted to them that we can genuinely be like, whoa, this is taking me somewhere that I haven't been in so long. If we pull the lover's card for that person, it's spirit's way of saying, hey, by the way, that person just lit the pilot light. You are what you're falling in love with. This feeling doesn't have to come from that person. Anybody can light the pilot light. You can light the pilot light. It's a question of saying to yourself, can we bow to and honor the person who lit this up and also really practice our truth by saying, okay, let's not forget about my part in this. Let's not forget about me. We always forget about us. Somebody looks at us, they have gorgeous eyes, beautiful lips, like 
they're lit up when we look at them, you're falling in love with yourself. What you see in their eyes is also in your eyes. What you see in their lips is also in your lips. What you hear from the kind words that they say or the exciting words that they say is stuff that yourself has been wanting to tell you about you forever. The lover's card can be tricky because it can feel like that person is our only source of that feeling. And it's not true. It's the opposite. When we forget that that's in there, spirit will bring us something external. Again, this is this is the Gemini piece. Gemini goes outside in order to go in. Very much connected to the idea of Mercury with Mercury. It's all about the expression and the connection of us to something higher from our thoughts to the way we speak them. And then the way they come back at us, there's an exchange of going inside to go outside to go back inside. That's what the lovers does. It starts with us, then it echoes out and reaches kind of like echolocation, whatever is in our highest and best to see, then it comes back to us. But we forget the the last piece of the circle a lot. And we just think like, oh, you know, that person's bringing it all. It's, it's literally like they're bringing it all. So when we're in the lover's card, it's an opportunity to ask ourselves, what is being reflected to me right now that I'm meant to be seeing, that I'm meant to be taking on, considering that I might be the thing that I'm falling in love with right now. Let me really look at the reality of this person beyond my attraction to them. You know, are they beyond the chemistry? Are they really my beloved? Does it make sense? You know, whatever it might be. And if it doesn't make sense, chances are they're working in lover's energy, bringing you a gift and then walking away. Like, and a lot of the time, regardless of whether or not the other person, if we're dealing with an other person thing in the lover's card, a lot of the time, regardless of whether or not you get confirmation or the other person admits it, it is an exchange. So usually someone, they're feeling that way about you too. And it might be that it's a sexual attraction. It might also just be that it's an experience of like, just loving on each other. And it has nothing to do with anything carnal at all, but we can't forget to, to remember that what we're falling in love with around another person is ourselves. And sometimes people come in with that beautiful energy. There, there are people who come in with, um, faces and voices and features physically that light up Sometimes a whole group of people, a whole gender, a whole identity, a whole community, um, and make them feel things that that person came through as a real mirror for sometimes a whole group of souls who um, might have a kind of a spiral connection to one another. So think about for yourself, where has there been someone who when you look at them, feel into them, hear them speak, you feel better? That's a lover's thing. Now, kind of the shadow to the lover's card is the devil because a lot of the time we can get too attached and we can think like this person, this thing, this drug, this whatever is my only source of this feeling. And so then the chemistry, the brain gets confused and winds up filing this person into this file folder that's like, well, okay, to get a hit, to get approved of, to get... um you know, chosen, it's got to be this person. 
and we're kind of unavailable to see how they might be harmful. And, um, you know, I'm speaking about the devil card strictly around other people. Obviously the devil card comes up with things that like are not external at all. Because again, you don't need anything external to rock it in a card. But if this card, you know, we know like there's somebody who actively creates harm in our lives or it just doesn't feed or nurture us. And we are like continuing to call them or engage with them or sleep with them or whatever. And we feel horrible after. And the mere, and the thing that they're reflecting to us is not, does not feel good, is actively the opposite. Then we want to really bow to the shame and the experiences of regret and of fear and of smallness and of insecurity that those things can sometimes bring up and honor the fact that the brains kind of got us twisted a little bit. And then again, it really doesn't have anything to do with the person. It has to do with what they represent and what they, what the brain feels like they can be, um, a symbol of. So for some people, they can't quit somebody who, is utterly unavailable to them and they'll get them for a little bit. It feels like they've been chosen and then the person goes away and the brain knows that they will do that. Not because the person's bad. The person's just being a person. I mean, some, there obviously there are terrible people out there, but if a person is behaving in a way and in a cycle that is familiar and present, then let's let them do them. They don't need to change you know, the only thing you can do is take responsibility for yourself. So with the devil, whenever we're getting it, whenever we're feeling particularly obsessive or caught, not in another person's web, but in the obsession around another person, we can shift that immediately by remembering, oh yeah, when was the last time I remembered to look in the mirror? What am I looking for in this person? What is my brain looking for? What does this person bring to my daily life that makes me feel smaller? That makes me feel like I'm trapped in a, in a cycle with my mom, with my father, with my caretaker, with my, you know, other partners, you know, whatever it might be with friends, like, you know, whatever your situation is, when we look at when we consider this idea of the soulmate being in the mirror and we're really caught in a devil cycle with someone, they're not the devil. They're not bringing evil unless they are, which, you know, is another thing, but they're not the devil. The, the, the devil doesn't even, is not even real. <laughs> it's the, the devil is inside and the devil is really, um, and anyway, it's an archetypal invitation to play small and to not be in our soul's truth, period. And that can be the whisper of dark energy and that can be the whisper of dark um, entities if we want to look at it that way, but it has to go through the brain. So it's always a chemical process, no matter what you want to frame it as. It's a matter of saying to ourselves, I desire, even if I don't know quite what waits me on the other side, I desire to be off of that cycle. So then we get the chance to look at, you know, what loop, what abuse, what um, shitty narratives does this keep me in, in order for me to not be fully in myself. 
So that can be the shadow of the lover sometimes where we actively, we don't understand. It's not them. It's us to the point where we can't get off the merry-go-round. So part of getting off the merry-go-round and the devil with someone is being able to recognize, witness, I'm wanting and desiring for this person to be different. And I'm wanting and desiring for this person to give me something that I can't, nobody can give me but myself. And then it's a matter of holding the pose of like blocking them, saying, you know, hey, I need some space. I need a moment or just going away and giving that to ourselves. So it can be really powerful to do that. And there are a couple cards in the cup suit that are important. You know, Ace of Cups is the beginning of the cup suit and it's an invitation to love yourself. It's an invitation to fall in love with the self, drink of the eternal spring that is connected to our birthright to be loved by us and others. And it is the beginning of a kind of a blessing experience where the waters are coming in, they're nourishing us, we're being hydrated and filled, and there's an exchange happening of almost being baptized and blessed nobody's going to bring that in for you better than you. So Ace of Cups does not necessarily mean a lover. So when we take lover out of it, when we take partner, twin flame, whatever, when we take that out of it, we're left with a cup that's being offered to us from spirit. And in fact, not to be too whatever about it, um, the disembodied hand in the Smith Rider Centennial that brings that forward, that's not anyone. That's spirit. So Aces do not come from the hand of a human. Aces can be passed down through human beings. But again, even if someone came into your life with Ace of Cups, who is the best thing that ever happened to you, that's still mirror work over relationship work. Mirror work is relationship work. So we have to look at us first and say, oh, wow. I have this beautiful opportunity and Ace of Cups to kind of drink of my own amazingness, even if I don't feel amazing. Um, and I'd love to drop into the willingness to do that. And that kind of leads me into another thing before I talk about Two of Cups. A lot of people might be listening to this and might be a little triggered and might be really confronted. And if you're still listening, I really applaud you. Because this is not about getting this figured out. This is a lifelong journey. Even if you have goals and dreams and plans that involve partner and children that seem time sensitive to you, spirit has got you. Spirit has got you. The more we fuck around with the wires, the more we try to push or strategize something, the harder it becomes. So just be with this right now. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't, I need someone to validate me as hard as that might be to admit, or I need to, like, I'll feel better about myself when I'm with someone. Or if you're just like, fucking, I love myself and I just fucking want companionship. This is not so deep for me. Um, I still encourage you to look in the mirror and I still encourage you to see, you know, what's being reflected back to you from other sources of love. What do your friends say? You know, this might be really harsh, but do you have a number of friends who have all experienced the same challenges in you that are a defense that are perhaps keeping other relationships away? 
So really look, you can only know that from looking in the mirror and you can, anybody can handle anything in their mirror. Like we are, we would never be given anything that we can't handle. So if there's some aspect to your personality that is really difficult and a little bit alienating, first of all, that's going to be someone's just enough when they meet you and will probably love that aspect of you. But it will also be a question of you tuning in with yourself and saying, you know, is that really me? Or is that an aspect of me that, you know, comes forward when I'm scared? You know, when I'm nervous, is that something that I've always felt shame around actually, but it is a big part of me, you know, whatever it is, believing that that part can be loved, even the part that other people don't always feel connected to your person will, but we still have to be available to work on ourselves. And that leads me to two of cups. Two of cups is the ultimate work on yourself card. You know, my dear friend, Jeff Henshaw, one of his, one of the greatest teachings that he has with the tarot is that he believes that in the Smith Rider weight, the high priestess and the fool are looking at one another in their everyday wear. And if you look at your Smith Rider weight, you will notice that it's the same coloring, the same outfit, um, but they have different, it kind of looks like the clothes that they kick it in on the daily rather than their ceremonial outfits or their outfits for the card. Um, the high priestess is staying. She's making herself vulnerable to the fool. It's not easy for somebody who does work like high priestess to be vulnerable and to be soft. And the fool is not running away. So they're each doing the hardest thing in order to be seen by one another. And that's kind of what we get to do when we're in two of cups with ourselves. We get to say, you know, I'm going to hang out with this piece that I really wish wasn't a part of me, or I really wish were different, or I'm really believing I can't be loved around until I change. It's the same thing with the Ace of Cups. If you're listening to this feeling like, well, how do I get started? You just need to look in the mirror. There's nothing to do. What are the parts of you that you feel like are not lovable? What are the parts of you that you feel like you have to fix, change, beat out of yourself, run out of yourself, um, scrub out of yourself? to meet somebody, you know, if that's the case for you, then these cards are looking to call you home. So don't project that out onto someone else. Offer yourself that work first and the other person will come if that's what you desire. So this is true for friendships too. This is true for utterly non-romantic relationships as well. The more we're available to look at ourselves and the stuff that really challenges us about ourselves, our need to run, our, vulner our, our you know, vulnerability, speaking our truth, being honest, like whatever brings up challenges for us can be really, really um, beautifully processed with the Two of Cups. And the Four of Cups is another card that deserves a rewrite. So the traditional meaning of the Four of Cups is often like grab that cup while you can, or you're missing something or you're being so, um, self-destructive or so grumpy or so sullen that you're missing all the good things that are coming through to you. And that has never been my interpretation of it because I absolutely believe you cannot miss anything that is meant for you. If you are sulky and shitty, the worst, and that's just in you, you're not going to lose anybody because of that. We don't get punished that way from spirit. 
the Four of Cups is actually one of the most profound examples of true self-sovereignty in the whole tarot because it shows us what can happen when we honor our timing, when we trust our timing, when we appreciate the fact that we're digesting three cups. So in terms of the soulmate being in the mirror, if you need time, if you cannot have a fourth cup of wine or water or whatever it is because you are full, then it is your job to digest and not grab at things in desperation. And that's what the four teaches us too, to listen to the body, honor ourselves, let that be the way forward rather than deciding that, you know, someone's here and they're cute and we should just like run for it. No way. So you can't miss anything that's not meant, that you're not meant to have. And this is proven to us in the Smith Rider weight because we say no to the cup in the four. We go through a contraction, which makes complete sense, but that full cup is behind us in the five along with another one. We didn't lose anything. It just comes back when we're ready to receive it. And that's the thing with the five as well. That's so brilliant is that, you know, the five of cups is, is an emotional experience we usually can't rush from, but it does involve us trusting that we'll see that full cup when we see it. And, you know, we didn't miss a thing. And, um, this kind of leads me into the 10 there's more to talk about, of course, with the cups, but you know, I'm not going to go through a whole suit today, but the 10 of cups is also pretty misunderstood. And I think deserves a rewrite as well, with all due respect, because the traditional definition of the sit of the 10 of cups is so limiting. And I think a little damaging actually, because it's pretty universally thought to be like you get everything you want. You have your partner, you have your children, you are set to go and everything's great. And like, that's not true because that doesn't exist for anybody. Everybody's still working, whether you have a partner or not. There's literally no way around that. So we've got to look a little more closely. Part of the reason that there are always rainbows, a lot of the time there are rainbows in the Ten of Cups, I believe is because rainbows are a perfect metaphor for life. Life can be very intense. It can be excruciating and brutal, but there are beautiful aspects to it. And it can be way easier to see the brutal stuff than the beautiful stuff. And like a rainbow, life is very, very short. It can feel long in the short term, but it is wildly short. Our existence on this planet as human beings has been wildly short. We're barely into an hour of our, um, um, evolutionary presence on this planet as human beings, like barely there have been so much, there's been so much that's come before us in terms of the, um, universe developing and other creatures living on the planet. Um, a rainbow is something that usually if we see one, we'll stop everything to experience. We'll stop everything. We'll take photos. We'll pull over carefully, I hope, to the side of the road to look at one. It can make our whole day. They're really special. They literally bring people out of their houses to look at them. And, of course, this is always available to us in life. There are things to be in awe of with our lives always, in every moment. 
Now, that doesn't mean like if we're not feeling that, we're doing something wrong. Because I do not feel that all the time. But I also recognize that the sun rising in and of itself is both a miracle and also very ordinary. And if I'm there for it, it can bring me into a space of remembering that this kind of beauty is here all the time. So the rainbow is not a symbol of anything more than us finally coming to a place where we're present with what is. We have found happiness with what's here. We're available to be present for the beautiful stuff. If there's a rainbow, we're not going to miss it, or we won't have been so distracted that we would have missed it, or we won't be the kinds of folks who see a rainbow and don't even care. Um, and by the way, that's fine if you see a rainbow and you're like, okay, next. Um, because everybody has their thing, but it leads us into the next thing. Like rainbows are not forever. So when one comes being there for it, really being there for it, takes everything we've got. And you know, if we want to go a step deeper with the Smith Rider weight, those children who are laughing and playing together they're not going to laugh and play like that for all that much longer. Anyone who has children or has been with children for a little while, for more than like an hour, knows that joy and sorrow and screaming and laughing go hand in hand with children. <laughs> and it's not a fixed state. So the Ten of Cups, like all that's there. We just miss it because we want to see what we want to see. And we want to believe that in this over-cultural idea of love and romance, there's this sense that everything's going to be okay. That's not the truth. Now, when you're with your right person, it's real nice if that's what you want. And when you're with the right group of friends, people who really see you, it's the best. And we all have our journeys in terms of like, Finding partnerships in this lifetime, although I've experienced difficulty with that, um, has never been something I've stressed about. What I do feel uh, I stress about more is like female friendships. Um, not always, but sometimes. So everybody has their thing. I know plenty of women who are like don't intuitively are so mixed up with um romantic, uh, encounters and have all the intuition in the world about women or about other men or about, you know, whatever friends, you know, about friends. So it depends on where we're at, what we're, what we got going on. But yeah, 10 of cups is like the ultimate, like we can be here no matter what's here. We can be here alone. We can be here with someone without someone. We just know that we're enough. And that is ultimately what it is to be present with the soulmate in the mirror. If we have an awareness, a willingness to hang out in that, if we're willing, no matter what arises, to cherish a relationship with us, we will have all of the support and loveliness we could ever ask for, regardless of whether or not someone is by our side in whatever form we desire them to be. Um, no one can tell you, you know, people absolutely 
there can be, there are times in tarot readings when we know someone's going to meet somebody and we know that that's a part of the next cycle that they're going to go through. A lot of the time I get that it's not in that person's highest and best to know that because if we get too mental in it, we can wind up moving out of ourselves. Ironically, usually when someone's done the most devoted work on themselves without looking for a cookie at the end of the day in the form of a partner, um, cause we can do that, you know, no shame there. Um, they're closer than they've ever been. It's like when we're not thinking about it, we're the closest. So us telling someone, you know, I see, feel a lover for you, a romantic situation for you. If that triggers the person into outward looking, then they immediately get further than they were five minutes before you told them. So we as tarot readers have an ethical obligation to begin to circle out more with these cards and in love readings because we might see, feel patterns that have are so clear to us and we always want to be checking in with spirit. Isn't this, is this in this person's highest best to know this? Or do they have work to do that has nothing to do for them with romance, but kind of does have everything to do with it because they're getting themselves closer and closer to it. If that's the case, you want to honor it and maybe make someone a little disappointed in your reading. <laughs> it's not really about trying to thunder out the best thing you can. It's really about being honest and about being integral and not interfering in what's in someone's highest and best good. So sharing what you're feeling is important. Sharing what you're getting is important. Having the awareness and the evolutionary perspective in your card interpretation to support folks who are not in any way, shape, or form interested in romance, interested in a sexual relationship, um, folks who are looking for certain kinds of sexual relationships or sexual experiences, um, that those all need to be honored. And if they're not honored with your interpretation, then it's time for an evolution there. So I encourage everyone listening to this to think about how these cards that are traditionally about partnerships are really for you and how other people can weave into them when we begin to do our work with ourselves. But I mean, this is the straight fact of it. The relationship and the marriage that we have with ourselves and the body is the most unbelievably rewarding, challenging thing like in this life. That's it. It is the hardest thing to look in the mirror. Nobody, it doesn't get easy. It's, it just continues. It can change and there can be aspects of ourselves that we love seeing and then we can move into contraction and it can change. So it's just about being patient with the way that we explore that. Um, but this is meant to be an offering for anybody who is looking, seeking out their beloved. Great news. You got them. They're you. And if you're looking for companionship, friendship, or community, the best place for you to look is within. The best place for you to look is the mirror. And if you find yourself getting defensive or scared or contracted, I encourage you to stay with it because that's usually an aspect of the mirror of the unconditionality of the lovability of the inner child of the true self 
that's so longing to be embraced by us. So many of us feel like we're not enough, right? So coming back to that place again and again and again is so important, you know? So I hope this helps. Um, I hope it brings things forward for you. If there's any feedback um, that you feel is important for me to know, not that it upset you, but that you'd like me to be more inclusive in a certain way. I want that. If it upset you, it's not that I don't care about that deeply, but if it upset you, it probably did the right thing. <laughs> if it, if you felt excluded from it or felt that I need to use different inclusive languaging um, that will make others feel safer, I want to hear about that. So you can email me um, at Lindsay or... I don't even know my own fucking email address, wildsoulhealing at gmail.com. And um, if you, yeah, if this triggered you, that's so good. Like this is the one thing that I'll say, like it's great. Because um, I know that the triggering is like the last gateway to you being in oneness with yourself. And that shit is so good. So congratulations if you're triggered. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I hope that this serves. I hope this helps. Um, it's definitely not a normal way of looking at it. It's just a way that can hopefully help to expand your practice and illuminate something in a different way. And yeah, that's what I got for you this week. Thank you for waiting for this episode. Thank you for being here. I am so excited to share the course with you. I'll have a little announcement about it next week. And I'm really excited to share my interview with you next week with our guest. And until then, take care of yourself. Be gentle during this crazy Mercury retrograde shadow period and eclipse season weather. And I will see you next week. Take care. <laughs>